Um, we are uh, ending a series uh, that we're calling Legendary Friends. If you're going to follow along in your Bible, I always invite you to. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, Legendary Friends. I, I hope that you have some friendships that are just like, they're, they're different than just people that you're nice to. I hope you have some of that. I, I have, I have a, a, a loved one that uh, they're not friends, they're forced acquaintances. So like, like, I, I'm wanting to step in the other direction. I'm wanting to say, say like legendary friends. I'm talking about the kind of people that, that that you, you, every time you see them, there's an inside joke, there's an inside story. I hope you have people like that in your life. I'm talking about the kind of friends that are probably, um, I don't know if this is just a guy thing. Maybe I can get a nod like up and down or side to side from the ladies in here. It may just be a guy thing. I'm talking about the, the kind of friends that when you're hurt, they're not always right there to help you. Usually they have to recover from the laughter of, of you. Just like they think it's hilarious that you've injured yourself. Is that, is that just a guy thing or is that girls too? Yeah. Okay. Uh, some of the girls are like, "Yeah, I punched her in the face." No. So you are violent. Uh, I, I've had I've had a few instances. Uh, I was fishing with a friend of mine. This is probably about a year ago, and uh, I, I get I get my lure stuck in a tree because I'm really good at catching like birch and elm, but bass not so much. Uh, and I, I'm trying to get this this jig out, and it's kind of stuck. And I don't know if you know this, but but mono has like a little elasticity to it, and so I'm pulling, and the branch is giving a little elasticity. The line is giving a little elasticity, and it won't come. And so I pull harder, it won't come. I'm thinking the line's about to snap, and probably right before the line snaps, this jig comes flying out of the tree, right? And I'm, I'm sitting in a, in a chair, and it hits me in the kneecap. And I thought I got shot. Like, it just hurt so bad. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, is it bleeding? I, and, and my buddy is just laughing. Like, there's zero help. There's no sympathy from him. Uh, every now and then I get a picture of, like, some, some fisherman getting hooked in his hands. Like, yeah, but that would stink. Huh? It's like, yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. My knee hurts. Like, every time you, you do this joke. Uh, when I was about 20, 21 years old, I have some friends of mine visiting in Dallas. Uh, I, I, I did skateboard in high school. And so I thought at 21, I should still remember how to skateboard. And mostly I did. I stayed on the board until I uh, fell off the board. Uh, and, and it just comes to this, this halt. And uh, I almost fall on my face, and you'll be happy to know to protect the moneymaker here. Uh, I, I didn't. Uh, I caught myself, but I'm off balance now. And now I'm kind of falling backwards, uh, and my foot's stuck on the board. Long story short, I end up like scorpion kicking myself in the shoulder blade. I hear my whole leg pop. It stretched an extra two inches. It, like it was nauseating, the sound that I heard. And I, I can't walk all of a sudden. Like I immediately can't walk. And do you know the two guys I was skateboarding with? It took them five minutes to get off the ground. They thought it was hilarious what had happened. These, these kind of friendships, um, they're painful uh, sometimes, but, but they, they make for rich stories. They make for a rich life. And, and we're looking at these friends that Jesus had, and, and he had to have had a relationship. I hope that you have legendary friends like that. If you do, um, just letting you know, we have one more week. We're going to draw names, and we're giving away Legendary Gelato. A new, new gelato place called Legendary in Nederland has opened up, and we're just giving away free gelato. Uh, all you have to do to enter is uh, fill out a slip with your name and your legendary friend. Put it in the box, which is out in the foyer somewhere, uh, and we'll draw two more names this week. This will be our last week doing that. Uh, we've, we've seen this family, uh, it's two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they've, they've just interacted with Jesus on a level that's different than, than most people did. Most people had kind of passing relationships with Jesus. Some people, you know, Jesus would heal, and that was like the only time that they saw Jesus, and he kind of passed through the town. Some people were disciples of Jesus, and they were always close, but uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they, they lived in the city, Bethany, uh, and every time Jesus passed through, it seems like he just stopped and he would talk with them. He'd have a meal and you, you've got to know. 
know. Like, I, I've got to believe, because the first time we met Mary and Martha, Martha's working her tail off, and she's so mad. Mary's just sitting, you know, pleasantly at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's like, don't you even care that she's just a lazy bum or something? It said something like that in the Greek. Uh, and, and you've got to know that, that her name became a verb after that right? You know that Mary and Lazarus, when Martha was getting all kind of, you know, twisted up on something like, hey, you're starting to Martha that a little bit, right? Have you ever, have you ever had your name verb into something? It's usually like you've stumbled, like, man, you really jesse that. That's, I don't know what that means, but it's probably not good, okay? Uh, you, 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 Mary and Martha, I know that they had to dig at each other from time to time. I wonder, I wonder what the conversations were like after Lazarus's resurrection. Uh, you know, he gets sick, and he's like, oh, well, I mean, this, this is not as bad. What is it going to kill me <laughs> again? You know, like he, he had to like really love that uh, Lazarus may be the only guy who had two funerals in his life. Uh, but but he, he everything it doesn't like what is Lazarus going to be scared of? Like he can he can do anything he wants. He's now on like his second life because Jesus raised him back from the dead. Their their friendship, their closeness, uh, it had to inform each other. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus had like a way of telling a joke uh, that. After, after like the third or fourth visit with Jesus, uh, Lazarus started talking like Jesus. He started telling jokes like Jesus did. Because don't we do that? When, when we hang out with people enough, we kind of pick up on an accent or we, we, we think the same things are funny. I had a roommate in college that he had spent two years in Australia. He's a Texan guy, uh, but he had spent two years in Australia. I lived with a guy and I picked up an Australian accent just because, like, we're just hanging out. Uh, we, I wonder if, if the way that Jesus looked at the world when, when, when someone's like, oh yeah, they're really jerks. And Jesus is like, well, you know, you know, forgive your enemies, right? I wonder if Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, after spending enough time with Jesus, started to pick up on those little quirks, those little uh, idiosyncrasies. So we're going to pick up uh, the third and final story. Uh, the, the Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, as a, as a group, only get three stories in the New Testament. Um, and we're going to pick up on the, the last of those in John 12. And what's just happened is uh, Lazarus had a funeral that turned into a birthday party of sorts, uh, and they celebrated. Uh, Jesus, he, he goes and he kind of kind of takes a few days off and goes and meets with people. Then you have this plot, like uh, John, the, the writer, he kind of goes to Jerusalem and he shows us like, hey, people are now plotting to kill Jesus because of this. He later tells us that they plot to kill Lazarus for the same reason. So everybody, you know, it gets all murdery all of a sudden. Uh, but we're going to pick up in 12, uh, verse 1. It says, uh, six days before the Passover. Now, this is, this is the, the Passover that Jesus ends up being arrested at. This is, you know, the Lord's Supper. He's in the upper room. Uh, he's about to be turned over, and he's going to be arrested. This is that Passover. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, because he always went to Bethany. That was his, like, hangout spot where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Okay? Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. So what do they do? Verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. I love this. This is basically my grandparents' mode. It doesn't matter what good thing you do. You get like an awesome meal as a result of that. You uh, you help him get out of the ditch. You help him fix his flat tire. You, uh, you, know, you worked on his camel for a week. You're going to get a meal. You raise their brother from the dead. What do you get? An awesome meal. Like we're going to do like the roast. We're going to have a great time. So they have a dinner for him there in Bethany. Martha served, well, obviously, because she's going to Martha this meal, right? So Martha's good at serving. Martha's going to serve the meal. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. That is such a weird sentence. 
Because about a week before this, they were at Lazarus's funeral, and now Lazarus is like, like the smell is gone. He's taking a couple of baths. Um, he's got he's got all the wraps off of his, you know, the the the, the things that were binding up his hands and his legs, and he's he's reclining at the table with Jesus. Imagine if you haven't been to town in in like you know a month. You're like, man, I heard Lazarus was dead, and then you get to the meal. And the dude is sitting there. He's like, I thought you were dead. I was. You know, like, he's like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. He gets to talk to everybody around him about what was going on. It helps uh, when it says reclining at the table. Uh, we, we all have, especially like the, you know, the Lord's Supper picture where everybody's sitting on one side of the table, Jesus is in the middle. That's one, obviously not how it works because why would they ignore a half of a table, right? But two, uh, the culture wasn't really that they sat in chairs then. So this is going to matter here in a moment. When it says recline at the table, a meal was, wasn't, like American meals are like 30 minutes at most, you know, like we're fast. We, we, we just wolf it down. Right. And we got, we got movies to watch. we got stuff going on for them. A meal would be hour, two hour commitment. They would lay at the table. They would lay with like their head towards the table with their feet kind of behind them. They're reclining at the table. And so Lazarus isn't just sitting like a stoic little statue. He's like laid comfortably, like on kind of a couch. Uh, uh, if, if they used the, the Roman style, it was, it's called a triclinium. It's a three-way couch that kind of went around the table. They would all just lay with their feet behind them. And Lazarus is one of those reclining at the table. Verse 3, Mary, therefore... Therefore what? Uh, Just Bible study tip. Uh, Anytime you see the word therefore... Uh, you should ask yourself, what is the word therefore there for? Like it's, it's, it's there because of the things that already were said. They're having a party. They're having a dinner and Lazarus is reclining at the table. So a sister therefore does this thing. It's in response to my brother who was dead is now alive. My brother who I was mourning a week ago is back. And so Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard. I've Googled that. I've looked at, I don't, I'm still not sure what a nard is. Uh, it's some kind of plant that grows and it's very valuable. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. This, this sounds weird, right? Can we all agree? Like you're, you're enjoying a meal and someone starts tickling your feet with hair and perfume. That's a weird moment, you know? Uh, that's not just an American thing that that's weird. It was weird in Jesus's day. You don't go tickle people's feet while they're eating. Kind of touching the feet, by the way, was something like you wouldn't, you, you would get a slave or a servant to do, someone who's below you in class, right? And so Mary is a very wealthy woman. Um, you know this because of the expensive nard. Uh, Matthew will tell us that it's worth about a year's worth of salary. This is an expensive amount of ointment or perfume. And she sees her brother, who was dead a week ago. And she sees Jesus, who she was mad at a week ago. And she's just overcome. Therefore, Mary breaks this ointment and just goes to town on his feet. And everybody looked at this. It's like, that is weird. All of you are like, that is weird. And yes, yes, absolutely. Um, what what would it mean? Like I've, I've tried to put some thought into like the amount of value that's there. Like it's a year's worth of salary. So nobody say what your salary is, like what you make per year. But just imagine that, just for a second. It, it doesn't matter if you make if you make five thousand dollars a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year. Regardless of what your salary is, um, one year's worth of it is a considerable sum. Can we agree on that? This is, this is a, a bottle of juice that smells good. It's perfume 
that it's worth an entire year's salary. What in the world is she doing with this? Like, where does this come from? And, and honestly, everything I'm going to say about it is going to be guesswork because you just don't know. It doesn't say where it came from. But what would a woman do to get a year's worth of perfume? Uh, and so there, there's some, there's some speculation, some guesswork. And, and here's, here's what it's landed on. Mo- most people kind of agree that this has to be some sort of family heirloom. It's, it's a security deposit. This is, this is something that may have been passed down from the generation before her. Maybe it was grandma's at one point. Uh, most likely, uh, this came as part of a dowry or part of, uh, like the, the, the payment to begin a, a marriage. And it's a substantial sum. It's not just a goat. She's not a two goat lady. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like she is a year's perfume, a year's worth of salary of a perfume uh, kind of gal. And this, this would have been the security to protect her. What if, what if Rome completely decimates uh, uh, Israel at the time uh, and, and disrupts the economy completely? All the coinage just stops flowing through, through Jerusalem, through Israel. How would her family be taken care of? Well, her dad uh, or whoever paid the 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 uh, dowry or wherever this investment came from made it so that she has something that has inherent value. That if the worst came to worst, she could sell this and get a year's worth of salary and protect her family. She probably has kids, protect her kids. It's it's a security. This is this is like your inheritance that that grandpa gave you if if you have something like this is this is that that comic book collection that you won't you're, you tell your wife like we're not selling that. This is going to be worth a fortune one day, right? This is this. Is this is, this is everything, every time the world gets bad, every time COVID hits, you would turn and you would look at the thing and like, I feel, I feel safe because of, because of that. I feel, I feel okay because of that. Uh, I had a conversation with someone the other day. I have a generator in my garage, hardly ever run. I just run it just to keep it going. And he's like, hey, can I, can I borrow the generator? I was like, listen, I know that that looks like energy and power to you. He was wanting to borrow it for a prolonged period of time. But, but you need to know that it's like security for my family because we've been flooded twice and we went without power. This is just, just like this, this helps my family feel safe. And so she's looking at this ointment. Here we go. Uh, and this has represented for maybe multiple generations safety for her family. And when she looks at Jesus, and she looks at what Jesus did for her brother and for her family, therefore, the only thing that makes sense is I've got to do something that's worth something. She, she gives up her, her finite security to bless this Jesus. Like, what overcame her? Why in the world would she do that? Let's, let's keep going. Everybody gets ticked off by it. Like, you said it was weird. You don't want people touching your feet while you eat. I get it. Uh, everybody says it's weird. Matthew says all the disciples are disrupted. John starts naming names. You got to love this because John, John's like, hey, let me tell you about Judas. He's a snake. You can't stand that guy. He says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, he even adds the parentheses, like, and he's going to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? You got to love, anytime you do something good, there's always someone who has like some super spiritual sounding thing that you could have done instead, right? You could have given that to the poor, Mary. Why don't you, why don't you, like, you could have sold that. What a waste. What a, what a waste. Um, anytime we step out and we try to do something that is uh, maybe uncomfortable, but certainly outside the norm, uh, there's going to be naysayers. There's going to be someone who comes up and is like, you know what you could have done? You could have you fed all the people. You could, you could have, you could have taught all those poor kids. You could have had tutoring sessions with that time. You could have, like every, everything we try to do that's worth anything. There's all these naysayers. I have this super spiritual. You could have fed the poor. You could have, you could have taken care of them. 
And then John even adds us like what's going on in Judas's head. He said this not because he cared about the poor, <laughs> because they never do. It's, it's always a made-up reason. But because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in there. I love this. This is before, uh, before Judas betrays Jesus. The other disciples already knew he was a snake. The other disciples were like, yeah, he had this money bag. And anytime there's a little bit extra in there, he would skim off the top. We all saw it happening, but Jesus was like, love your enemies. You know, and so, so we had to love him, right? We had to, we had to bless him. We were just waiting for Jesus to do something. You know what Jesus does with Judas, right? He washes his feet later too. It's, it's wild. Like everybody in the group knew that Judas was a snake and knew that he was stealing things. And Jesus says, I want you to love others the way that I've loved you. Well, how, how have I loved you? Well, I just finished washing everybody's feet, including Judas's. Who, oh, you're going to go betray me? Okay, well, at least you have clean feet, I guess. You know, he, he, he loves his enemy. Verse seven, Jesus said this. This is Jesus responding to all the disciples, responding to Judas in this case. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial, for the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. He says, you know, some things are permanent, some things are temporary. And my ability to be here is temporary, but you're always going to have a chance to serve the poor. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus counts this as credit towards his burial. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't been arrested yet. He's, he's about a week out from that. Um, and he counts it for something that isn't there. In Mary's head, I don't know that she even knows that Jesus is going to be buried. It's interesting to me that Mary is doing a good thing. And Jesus says, not only is that good, but I'm going to give you credit for something that you haven't even thought of yet. I'm going to give you credit for my burial that's coming up. This reflects also other things that Jesus says. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. He counts our good works when we do them in the name of Jesus, when we do them to glorify him. He counts them towards amazing things on himself. He says, when I was hungry, you fed me. And they're like, well, when were you hungry? He's like, well, you know, when you feed the poor, I count it as if you're feeding me, right? I count it as if you're taking care of me. I want to flip, if, if you'll allow me, to Mark chapter 14. Uh, it's the same story uh, that we just read, but in Mark, uh, I guess Mark was sitting on a different side of the table or something, but he, he expands on that conversation a little bit uh, about what uh, Jesus says to Mary. John chapter 14, verse uh, 6. Let's find it. It's very similar, but he adds, he adds a little bit. He says in verse 6, But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? You know, Mary's just like boohooing. It's an emotional moment. And then someone stands up and says, you've got poor people out there you could be feeding. Don't you know? And Jesus says, leave her alone. Don't, don't mess with her. Don't trouble her. She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. You can, you could, Judas, you, you care so much about the poor, why are you even standing here, man? You could go feed them right now. You, you Go take some money and feed them, but don't bother Mary. She's doing this. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. How cool is that? Jesus is like, hey, one day you don't even know this, Judas. There's going to be a Bible, and we're going to talk about you, huh? And we're going to talk about Mary. And which story do you want to be a part of, Judas? Every, every time this gospel is written, we're going to talk about Mary and how she blessed me, and you're not going to have any say over it. You have the poor with you anytime you want to serve them, and yet this moment right here is finite, and it is fleeting. You know, Mary, she, she gave like a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, honestly, any, any financially sound people in here would be like, that's a lot. That's, that's your savings account. A, a year's salary, what is that? Like, 
your your vehicle. I don't, I don't know. Like you just you just felt led in that moment to give it to Jesus. Here's what I think, uh, and I, I think that's not because of something I read in the text. I think that's because I see this at work in my life and the lives of others as as they follow Jesus. Uh, have you ever been in a moment where like something weird just like pops in your head, pops in your heart? Like I should do that thing. I should serve in that way. And it, like, it doesn't have any sound reasons. Just like, should, I should help that person. I should talk to that person. I think that Mary had a moment like that where her heart is just like, I should do this. I should break this ointment open and this perfume and pour it. I had a, a moment. I'm, I'm ashamed to share this story actually. Uh, but I'll, I'll share it. Uh, I'm driving. I'm, I, I've just exited at 365. I'm sitting at the red light. I'm about to turn left on 365 and there's uh, some people uh, asking for money. And, and most of the time, like, you know, the, the light turns green. You know, I, I don't, I don't usually, it usually doesn't like twinge my heart, but for some reason, this one twinged my heart and it popped in my head. Like, I should give this guy $10. It was specific, like $10. I'm like, that's ridiculous. $10. Like, it's like a dollar, maybe it was just $10. It like stuck in my head. It's like, I probably don't have $10. Would you believe I had only one piece of paper in my wallet and it was a $10 bill? I had a $10 bill. It was in my wallet. And it popped in my head. I should give it to him. But in order to give it to him, here's what I have to do. The light has to turn green and I would have to pull up and stop closer to him because I'm too far away. And I'd have to stop and I'd have to give it to him. And I thought about it. And I thought about it. I thought about it too much. Uh, light turns green. I have it in my hand. I think about stopping. I think about this is ridiculous. And I just like, I just go. I just, I just gun it. Like he's not going to know, right? Everybody drives away and I get a block away. And like, I just can't stop thinking about it. I was like, my gosh, like, what is this $10 to me? Like, what am I going to lose by giving this man $10? And so I do a U-turn. I've got places to be. I got things to do. That's why I left. I was in a hurry, but I got things. So I do a U-turn. I go back. That dude was gone. I had this one fleeting moment to give $10. I don't know why he needed $10. I don't even know if he even knew he needed $10, right? He didn't ask me, hey, brother, can I have $10? He didn't ask anything. He was just there looking for help. And it just, it left. There was this moment in time where I had a chance to serve. And I didn't. And it twinged my heart. I think Mary had a little twinge of her heart uh, that prompted her to take the thing that is her security in life, that's going to protect her from all the woes of the world, and she sees the surpassing value of Jesus in front of her. And she says, you know what? You're worth this, at least. Probably more. You're worth this. I want, I want to ask this question. I want to try to explore it. How did Mary come to the conclusion that Jesus was worth everything? That's a, that's a, because we say things like Jesus is worth everything, right? Everybody in here who's a Jesus follower is like, yes, I agree. But how did Mary come to that conclusion? Because I think the way that she came to that conclusion is going to inform the way that we should also come to that conclusion. The first thing that she did is that um, she had a habit of sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his message. Not just rumors of his message, but listening to his message. You know, the first time we met Mary, remember, Martha's serving, right? And Mary's just sitting at the feet. And Jesus' response to Martha when she complains is, no, Mary chose the one thing. Only one thing is required, and Mary chose the good portion. Do that. And, and Mary has this habit of just like getting to Jesus and listening. You know, you know how I know that Mary listened to the message of Jesus? She was captivated by him. She was captivated by everything in this message. It's, it's funny to me because when, when I talk to people who have just heard rumors of the message of Jesus, it's a little different. Uh, the number of people, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of some examples, but the number of people who just kind of twist a little thing and say, well, your Jesus says this. My Jesus never said that. Your Jesus says this, and I, I can't stand that. 
I've had people say, you know, hey, listen, I just want to let you know, uh, I've discovered that I'm gay and you're a Christian, so you're supposed to hate me now. Now, my Jesus never told me that. Where'd you hear that from? Where'd you hear that I'm supposed to hate you for a thing? No, no, my Jesus actually forbids me to hate anybody. You can punch me in the face, I'm not even supposed to hate you. So, I mean, please don't, and then you back away. Uh, it's funny, the difference between the people who have heard rumors of Jesus's message, they get all twisted, but people who sit and listen to Jesus, this is the reason why whenever I teach, I just read straight out of the Bible, that the people who actually hear what he has to say, his message, honestly, if you're hearing it right, the way it's recorded in scripture, should be so good, so captivating, so like mind-blowingly, I hope that's real. It should, it should drive your heart to be like, I don't know if it's real or not, but I hope that one message is true. Because the message that Jesus said is that God hasn't given up on us. His very presence is proof of that. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. I hope that's true. Like, if you hear the real message of Jesus, uh, it should, you, you should you'd be like, I don't know, but I, I need that one to be true. Mary, she sat and she heard the real message of Jesus, and she was just overwhelmed by the power of it. Whenever I talk to someone, and they're like, I just, I can't stand your God. I can't, I don't understand why any of you are Jesus followers. I know immediately you haven't heard the real message of Jesus. Like we, we might need to figure out where that misunderstanding came from. And maybe that's a conversation, but, but you were talking about a different gospel than the one that I know of. I knew a kid one time, uh, this popped in my head just now. I may run out of time now. Uh, I'm, I'm working foster care. Uh, I go into this house and this guy who was born with spina bifida, he was probably 14, 15 years old. Uh, he's in a wheelchair. He can't move his legs. And the first question out of his mouth when he said, hi, I'm Mr. Jesse. He's like, I have a question. Okay. I don't know your name yet, but okay. He's like, do you believe in God? I said, yeah, I believe in God. He said, I don't believe in God. I said, really? Why? He said, because God made it so I couldn't walk. And, uh, I, I, I remember being heartbroken by that, first of all. That's, that's a really gut-wrenching thing. And then, like, the next thought that popped in my head is, like, how can you hate somebody that you don't believe in? Maybe, maybe you haven't heard the real message of, of Jesus. And about a month later, uh, I'm celebrating because I get pictures of this dude's baptism, that he, he does hear the gospel, the real message of Jesus. Um, Mary sat and she listened to the message of Jesus. Let me, let me just say this to a room this big. Uh, number of people in here, uh, any number of you could be coming in and you have like, like tensions about like what you believe the message of Jesus is. Uh, and if there's some misunderstanding, maybe we'd have a conversation, but, but if, if you're hearing something that you don't want to be true about Jesus, I think you may have heard the wrong message. If you hear a message of Jesus that says you're supposed to hate so-and-so and vote for so-and-so or hate the people who vote for so-and-so, that's not the message of Jesus. It's very important that we not just listen to rumors of the message of Jesus, but we actually get as close as we can to the source and hear what he has to say. The first thing is that Mary said at the feet of Jesus and listened to his message. The second thing is that she brought to Jesus her unfiltered self, not her Instagram-ready self. You know, last week when we met, we have a funeral for her brother, and she's mad at Jesus. And do you know that she didn't sugarcoat it? She didn't hide it? She didn't just walk up to Jesus like, praise the Lord, you came to my brother's funeral. No, she went to Jesus. She says, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And then she just sits down and cries. It was raw. And it was real. And do you know what? I, I believe that Jesus prefers raw and real over the church face mask that we tend to try to put on. Like we come in like, oh, it's in a blessed day. It's like, didn't you have bankruptcy like two days ago? Yeah, but it's a good. Like we try to pretend that these bad things aren't as bad as they are. And I think that Jesus is okay if we're just real with him and we just go and say, you know what? I'm really hurt right now. And then you just sit and you say nothing more. He's okay with that. What we have learned, though, 
the American church as a whole has learned that we, we're supposed to put on a good face because we need to save God's reputation. And I, I don't think that we do. I think that we can get around brothers and sisters who are, who are secure in their relationship with the Lord and be like, I'm, I'm struggling like you wouldn't believe right now. And, and I just don't know if, if God has any space for me. Mary went unfiltered to Jesus. She brought a real version to Jesus. And Jesus honored that. The third thing that Mary did that I think we could copy. So she was an eyewitness of his work in someone's life. It is no accident that she sees her brother at the table and therefore she breaks open the ointment. She saw the power of Jesus in her brother's life. Have you ever like been close enough with a friend where you've seen the power of Jesus do something in his or her life? I mean, we're talking, we're talking like kind of, kind of clear up some, some false thinking. We're talking, uh, depression, anxiety. Like sometimes that needs to be medicated and sometimes there needs to be treatment. Sometimes it's just like a bad thinking pattern and that Jesus kind of gives them victory over that. Have you ever, have you ever been so close to someone that you see God do something in their life. Mary did, and it affected how she responded. Which brings me to a very important point about the money and the value of what Mary did. When, when the church in general talks about money and talks about like tithing or something, uh, there's, there's this thing called the prosperity gospel. I don't know if you know that. It's, it says something like this, you give to God so that he gives back to you, right? And the more you give to God, this is a false teaching, the more you give to God, the more he's obligated to give back to you. False teaching. I'm going to just keep saying false teaching. That is not how this works. Notice that Mary, Mary didn't pay for Lazarus's resurrection with the most expensive thing she had. This is not a, a, a payment or a manipulation of Jesus. It is a response of what Jesus has already done. She gave in response to Jesus, not to get his response in return. She doesn't ask anything of Jesus. In fact, uh, after this, I don't, I don't think you ever see her talk to Jesus again. At no point does she go to Jesus and be like, well, listen, Jesus, I gave you the most expensive thing. And so I need like three camels and a Ferrari. Okay. Like, like that's, that's the prosperity gospel, right? You give so that Jesus does, but, but real worship is Jesus did. And when you witness that you give in response to it, it like, what else are you going to do? She's like, I have nothing worth more than this ointment except my relationship with Jesus. This is worth more. I'm going to give you that. Uh, I want to quickly dispel the entire prosperity gospel, if you'll allow me. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read that, and we'll close with it. As it talks about giving. What's happened in 2 Corinthians is a church in Corinth that Paul is writing to. Uh, I'll briefly summarize it by saying he had talked about, hey, we're going to do a collection. We're going to give to these other churches that are a little less wealthy. Corinth was pretty wealthy. So we're going we're to take a collection from this church and we're going to give to this church if you guys want to be a part of that. He wrote that in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians the, the first book. And then they had some kind of argument and they wanted to show off, the Corinthian church wanted to show off how great they were at giving. So they started like strong-arming people into giving more. Like, hey, I know you gave this much, but you might want to like, ah, uh, you know, like we got to sh- prove to Paul and to God and everybody how awesome we are. So we're going to give, we're going to give, we're going to give. They started manipulating people to giving. Uh, this is not a message about manipulating to give. This is a message about what is the theology of giving? Giving is worship. Giving is not manipulation. It's not a payment. You're not buying anything from God. You are telling God, thank you for this. Here's, here's what it says in chapter nine, starting in verse six. The point is this, 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then all the prosperity gospel preachers like, and close your Bibles, let's not read anymore, because you can see by that one verse that you're supposed to give a lot, right? So here, I need a new jet, give me all your money. That's, that's not what he's saying right here, because he continues the thought. Here's what he says. He says, each one must give as he has decided to in his heart. Stop strong-arming people as he's already decided to in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If at any point a church has like uh, guilted you into giving, you shouldn't give. If you feel guilt about your giving, don't give in that moment. Give with thankfulness. That's, that's the idea, okay? So Paul is trying to protect us from all the prosperity preachers in the world who try to guilt us into buying, I don't know, the prayer water from his you know, sink and, and, you know, for $50, Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's saying, he's saying God doesn't need your money. He has all sufficiency. It's, Mary didn't give Jesus the perfume because his feet stink. He gave, she gave Jesus the perfume because it was the most valuable thing she had. And it was to bless him. And Jesus says, I'm going to count that for my burial next week. I'm going to count that as you treating my body for burial. Verse 9, as it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That's a psalm. Oh, I had it written down. I forgot. I went and looked it up. The next verse is great. He's like, and then he punches the wicked in the face. You should read that psalm, by the way. Uh, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and brand for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying what you have to give came from him anyway. And as you give, he makes sure that you have more to give. One of the reasons why we choose not to give is we choose not to worship is because, because we're scared. We're scared that if we give away this most valuable thing we've ever had, we'll never get this most valuable thing back. And Paul's logic is, well, that's a blessing from God. And he has all the supply in the world to, to give. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Notice he says enriched to give in every way. Um, this is not a conversation about money. This is a conversation about giving. There's a difference. Uh, money is, you know, it's finite, it's whatever, but giving, you, you, you could be flat broke and still give. You can, you can give time. You can give energy. You can, you can sit and pray with someone. You, like the, the ability to respond to God's grace as you've witnessed it in your life is infinite. You're called to respond. We, we are called to just like our lives. Every now and then we need something. And then we, we were filled with whatever, whatever supply we need. Sometimes we need a financial need. Sometimes I just need someone to sit with me. Sometimes we need someone who, who can overcome this and has a little bit more knowledge in this area, and we, we talk to them. But, but they give, and then I'm in a position next year to give back to them and something that they need. Why? Because we are, we are codependent on each other as humanity. We, 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 we have moments of need and moments of supply, and then they just like flip-flop, right? Is it not true, maybe just, just think through your own life, is it not true that you've given to someone your time, your advice, your money, maybe a room to sleep in for a week, and then that same person responds later by giving you something, some advice, a meal, their time, help moving that week to a new house? Like We're, we're constantly, and what Paul is saying is, is like we, we are enriched in every way 
to be generous in every way. We give of our time, we give of our resources, we give of our energy, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He says it's by giving of these things that we in, increase our thanksgiving. We are so thankful to be able to be in a position to serve in that way, to volunteer in that department, to, to help in that event, to, to fund that thing. Uh, and, and it produces thanksgiving in us. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. He says, he says, as you give, not only are you meeting that need, but our thankfulness increases so much that, that like you see worship increase in this room. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He's, he's reminding them that you're giving to another church and as uh, that's their situation. And as you were raising the funds to give to the church. They're praying for you. You're, you're receiving back from them prayers and supports from this other church. The, the truth is, is that, uh, Mary gave everything she had to Jesus, not to buy his acceptance, um, but to show her gratitude. It was her response to him, not a purchase from him. It's not transactional, this thing of, of giving back to God. It was worship, not manipulation. And so the question I want to, I want to leave with, um, is like, as we witness what God has done in our lives, as we've witnessed what God has done in the lives of our friends, as just, as we witness what God has done in the lives of these prayer circles that we were just in 30 minutes ago, like, what is our, our natural response? Um, what, what should we do as an act of worship? Is there, is there a way to step in and give time, energy, resources to that cause, to that thing? Uh, I'd like to pray, uh, and then we'll watch the, the cue together. I, I would challenge us as we end this, uh, series, uh, to sit more at the feet of Jesus, to do what we can to see what Jesus is doing in the lives of others. And we bring our true unfiltered self to Jesus. And in so doing, we will increase our ability to, to work. We will, we will ache to respond to the call and the work of Jesus that we see around us. Let me pray for you. Father, um, this morning, Lord, we, we come to you. Uh, we thank you for uh, Mary and her example. Uh, we thank you that, that your words bore true, that every time the gospel is preached, her, her name is mentioned, that story is mentioned. Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, Father, if you would if you would help us to to learn to sit at your feet, if you would help us to to stop filtering our responses and stop filtering ourselves and just bring you our real self, uh, if you would help us to be there to witness your work uh, in and around us, uh, Lord, uh, would you increase also in us our worship of you and our response to you? May we be uh, generous with our time. May we be generous with our energy and resources to to further your kingdom, to further your mission. Help us to have eyes to see what you're, what you're doing in Mid-County through, through us and through the work that you're doing at Carpenter's Way. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.